And it's the B-List Daily here on Sports Time 780 and live online, mbrradio.com. My name is Aaron Morse, filling in for Maddie B on this Monday. Maddie had a long journey to Michigan to watch uh, University of Maine take on Central Michigan uh, last Saturday, and so he's getting a well-deserved little bit of a morning off here on uh, Monday, returning from Michigan. And filling in for Coach Wing is Coach LeBlanc, Gus LeBlanc, in studio with us here on this Monday morning. We're going to have a couple guests. We'll have uh, Mike Dusso from patpropaganda.com at 11 a.m. And then 11.30 in studio, we'll have um, a very exciting couple guests from the Bates College men's soccer team, head coach Tyler Shake and one of their captains, Peter Bakken. The Bobcats defeated Wesleyan 1-0 on Saturday and defeated Williams 2-0 on Sunday. So a very good weekend out there on Russell Street Field for Bates men's soccer, so we'll have a couple of guests from them later on today. But, Gus, we got to start. Well, first of all, I want to give people your background, obviously, your defensive coordinator at Lewiston High School this year. After a few years away from coaching, you won a couple state titles with uh, Dexter um, in, the 19, in the 1980s, and now you're returning to coaching this year at, at Lewiston. What's that experience been like so far working with the new generation of uh, high school football players? Oh, thanks, Aaron. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. People talk about that, but kids really aren't that much different uh, than they were uh, over the last 30, 40 years. Uh, it's, uh, I, I'm really happy with our group of kids. You know, uh, last year we graduated 17 seniors. Yeah. So uh, we've uh, had our work cut out from us uh, from day one. And um, like all football programs or most football programs, not only in Maine, around the nation, you know, numbers aren't what they used to be. You know, uh, when I was at Dexter, which was a small school, we had 53 and 55 uh, players, uh, you know, in our varsity unit. Uh, Lewiston High School this year, we got about 35. Mm. That includes a couple of injured players. Right. Uh, so, no, I mean, I think it's been great. Uh, uh, our kids, um, uh, we've, worked, we've worked hard. Uh, and in different elements of the game, we've improved every week. And... Uh, you know, we've had a really, really tough schedule. Right. Yeah, no kidding. Probably the toughest schedule in Class A. You know, we opened with Oxford Hills, uh, and then we uh, also played Chevrolet, um, uh, yeah. and we've also played Portland. Thornton uh, Academy. And, and Thornton Academy yeah. in there, you know. <laughs> and at times, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, it was really lopsided score against uh, Oxford Hills. Uh, but uh, we um, had a great goal line stand, and we uh, played well in the second half. Uh, and uh, so, you know, that was our little bit of shining uh, moments defensively uh, in that game. And then, of course, Thornton Academy, for the first period and a half, uh, we held them scoreless. Mm. And, of course, then um, the dam broke on us, uh, and uh, they uh, we gave up a, a touchdown, and then they – Got a pick six, and you know, and it just dissolved. Against Chevrolet a week ago, um, we had a chance to win that game. I would, I would, I no, 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 no offense to Chevrolet, a good football team, uh, but I really felt we lost that game. We didn't get beat offensively Mm -hmm. and defensively. We made some mistakes that were costly, and then the other night against Portland, um, it was a pretty good game. I mean. was 14 nothing at halftime Portland. Our offense struggled a lot in the first half. We gave up one touchdown, they returned a punt. The second half they scored another 14 points, but we matched them. 
our offense came alive and we matched them. And, you know, all the predictions were we're going to lose 40, 47 to nothing and 40 to 6. And, uh, but our kids really rose to the occasion. We've got some issues we've got to fix. But getting back to the original question, <laughs> kids are pretty much the same. Yeah. And, and they're good kids. And they're out there because they want to play football. And uh, I, I got to respect that uh, no matter what, whether it was 30 years ago or, or it was last night. Uh, so you don't have so. to change much in the way you coach it's still the same, basically, in terms of your style. You haven't changed anything, or have you? Oh, yeah. He, there's, there's been a lot of changes. There have. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for instance, as a defensive coordinator, you know, one of the things, uh, the, the whole game of tackling has changed in football due to all the concussion issues. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we teach what's called heads-up uh, tackling now, which uh, really actually came uh, out of the Seahawks program. Okay. Uh, yeah, they, uh, uh, they, they've uh, done a lot of promotions on that. And it's seen as a safer way for kids to tackle, uh, trying to avoid concussions. That's different. I think the biggest difference, though, is Aaron, um, from the defensive side of the ball, uh, you see so many spread offenses, you know, trips, wide formations. Um, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, it used to be line up and who's got the biggest horses and drive the ball right down your throat. And you see that a little bit once in a while. Mm-hmm. Portland's kind of that way right now. Uh, but you see so many spread offenses and so much passing. Uh, that part of the game has changed, uh, so it really has uh, defense has had to adjust uh, to compensate for that. And you probably don't get to practice tackling that much, or how much do you get to practice tackling? Because practices, at least um, the football practices I've observed at Bates, they don't they don't tackle typically. Well, you know that's one of my old school things that yeah. I've carried with me. We. We tackle almost every practice. Now, that needs to be qualified. Yeah. We don't do live tackling because mm. we don't want to wear them out. You know, yeah. when we get on the field Friday night, we want to be fresh. We do a lot of form tackling. Uh, you know, we go through the mechanics, uh, we go through the leg drive, the arm rip, making sure we're driving the chin up, making a collision, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, but it's all done at half speed, quarter speed, form tackling. And, um, uh, my belief, and you know, when I when I was coaching at Dexter, uh, we had an offensive powerhouse. You know, we were scoring you know twenty, thirty, forty, and sometimes more points a game. But the real thing there was that nobody was scoring many points against us. We were a really good defensive team, and uh, we were a good tackling team. And so I really believe that uh, tackling, and especially in this era of spread offenses. Open field tackling is a critical skill. Right. If you can't do it, you're going to get run all over. So we, we, we practice tackling almost every practice in some form, and it's usually a form tackle. Great. Well, let's shift to some uh, NFL talk, more football talk, because uh, obviously last night's Sunday night game was the Patriots uh, versus the Lions, and I know everyone's concerned perhaps about the Patriots um, after that loss because I thought you know they're down at halftime I'm like all right but it's Tom Brady it's the Patriots they'll come back they didn't they scored a touchdown with James White but that was it 26 to 10 they lose to the Lions I mean I know you're actually uh, you were wearing your Packers jacket here in studio so you probably are not necessarily much of a Patriots fan per se but if you were a Patriots fan or if you are uh, somewhat a Patriots fan how worried should Patriots fans be? 
Okay, well, let me qualify this to start because <laughs> okay. um, I am a Patriots fan. Okay, okay. Not when they play the Packers. Not when they play the Packers. I've been a Packers okay. fan yeah. my whole life. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> other than that, I'm always cheering for the Patriots. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think there's some cause for worry uh, in Patriots land. Um, but I think that's a double-bladed sword. You know, I think Belichick is probably arguably – uh, one of the, if not the best football coaches, at least in my lifetime. Um, it's kind of hard to, sorry coach, but it's kind of hard to love his persona and his personality. But if you want to respect his professionalism, what he does on the field, um, he's, he's one of the best. Tom Brady, even though uh, he's an aging quarterback, uh, he's still for real. He's still quality. Um, I think they. I think the, the the big worries for the Patriots is that uh, when I watched them against the Lions, uh, their guys up front, their receiver core, uh, they seem to be getting physically beat a lot. I mean, the Lions looked younger and quicker and in the gaps and providing more pressure, and uh, Patriots looked a little bit uh, flatter. Um, of course, they get Nettleman back, and after. Uh, next game, I think it's his last suspension game. And uh, we'll see if Jordan amounts to anything for him. Oh, Josh Gordon? Uh, Gordon. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, That's going to be interesting. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess the my biggest concern as a football coach would be the, the Patriots team I saw play last night looked pretty flat. Uh, now, on the other side of the coin, the, the Lions were fired up and they were anything but flat. Right. And they... Uh, we're going right at it. So I, I don't know. I think there's a there's a cause. If you're one of those fans that says, hey, the Patriots going to go to the Super Bowl every year, <laughs> I think you ought to be a little concerned. But as Belichick said in his postgame, uh, no one's clinched a berth to the playoffs. No one's clinched a, a trip to the Super Bowl yet. It's still early in the season. And he's right. And uh, – I've watched Patriots teams in the last couple of years go on the field and stink the place up and come back a week later and it's like, holy cow, I don't know what they did last week, but uh, they're good. However, you know, an interesting fact that I stumbled across was that um, this is only the second time in 10 years that the Patriots have been beat two games consecutively by 10 points or more. So, I mean, I don't know if that statistic is anything, but uh, their offensive production right now seems to be kind of limited. And they went into that game with only three active wide receivers. Yeah. And they weren't really very good wide receivers either, <laughs> honestly. I mean, Hogan has had his moments, I think, but like Dorsett, he's been a bust, basically. Patterson is a special teams player, basically. I mean, you and I know they have Gronk. But the Lions were able to key on Gronk and focus on Gronk. And the other receivers, they, they just don't have the same – They it didn't seem like they had the same chemistry with Brady at all. And, I mean, I don't think Dorsett had a single catch. I mean, it was a pretty uh, bare-bones operation last night. I yeah, like. you're absolutely right, Aaron. And I guess the other thing is this is two weeks in a row that teams have basically taken Gronk out of the mix. Mm-hmm. You know, we they, the Patriots didn't get from him what the, the kind of production they've had in the past – and um, so they're going to have to do something with that. And, I'm, and that, you know, and that's obviously, uh, uh, you know, why they've gone out and uh, tried to pick up uh, some help in the wide receiver core because right. if they don't get that, 
everybody's going to take Gronk away and they're going to continue to suffer. Of course, the other thing is they're counting on Michelle to carry their running game, and he's a good he's a good football player. He's still a rookie, right? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure he's ready for prime time. I yeah. mean, he's not the guy you're going to give the ball to 17 times a game and get the kind of production you need, I don't believe. I think James White is underutilized by them. I mean, he had a touchdown uh, last night, but he's not on the field as much. He's like a third down, like, you know, the passing. He's like a their basically version of Theo Reddick, I guess, if you're comparing to the Lions. But I think he should be in there more. I mean, he seems to be like a – a decent playmaker for them, but they don't use him on. They don't, he doesn't get that many snaps. I don't know. Well, that's classic Belichick. Uh-huh. A lot, right. A lot of guys on his roster are role players. Yeah. They've got some kind of role on the on the field, and uh, White is your third down back out of the backfield. And, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the the role that he's played. Um, I like to yeah. see him more, but Belichick's probably not going to change his ways now. But you never know. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure he has some tricks up his sleeve. I asked Coach Wing about this when it was announced, I think, last week that they were acquiring Josh Gordon from the Cleveland Browns. This guy obviously has had two, I think, season-long suspensions from the NFL for you know violating their substance abuse policy. He's had all sorts of issues in his career, but he's really, really talented still. Like, he's still a really talented player. What are your thoughts on bringing him into the mix? Because... I mean, he, he has a bit of an injury right now, but he is so talented, but he has just – the Browns just finally gave up on him, basically. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I, I think the thing with Gordon is he's an incredibly talented athlete and uh, really, really good football player. You know, and, and it's tragedy um, when uh, eh, substance abuse affects anybody's life. Right. But you look at, it, you look at a young man right here who – his star is hanging on being a professional athlete. And right now his substance abuse has really uh, caused that to be a problem. I think it's what's interesting is uh, the Patriots have taken some people under the wing before who have had some issues. Right. And Corey uh, Dillon comes to mind. Corey Dillon is a good example. Yeah. And they've got some real productivity out of him. If they could do that with Gordon, uh, specifically in the situation the Pats find themselves in right now where they, they need to do something with this receiver core and they could make him productive and have that issue not be uh, a, a controlling factor in his life, it, that potentially could make a difference for the Patriots. Of course, Patriots no fans, no fools. I understand that his contract says that uh, he has to appear in 10 games for them. Uh, mm. in order for the full contract to be in effect. And, uh, of course, Belichick, you know, if if I'm returning punts and I drop one, I could be out on the street the next day. So right. <laughs> I, I'm sure that they, they're, they're cognizant of the fact that, hey, if this guy isn't producing, we're just going to get rid of him. But, you know, you never know. He could make a difference, especially when you got a quarterback like Tom Brady. Uh, you know, I mean, he uh, – if, if the kid can keep his nose clean and can get into the system, uh, Brady will get him the ball, and, and it could make a difference for the Patriots. It also could make a difference in, in, in Gordon's life as well. So the Patriots right now, obviously, in the, you know, in the AFC East, the Dolphins are off to a hot start. I mean, should they? how concerned they should be about Miami, you think? I mean, Miami hasn't lost yet. They're 3-0, and and the Patriots are 1-2. and Well, I think it's too early. I think it's too early. I, I think the, I, I think the the verdict is still out on the Patriots, uh, you and know, the Dolphins perhaps, maybe. and perhaps the Dolphins. Yeah. You know, 
I mean, the Dolphins, just like every other football team, are going to say, oh, geez, you know, the Lions, the Lions beat the Patriots. What's going on there? But they still have to look in the mirror and say, okay, are we, are we ready to beat the Patriots? Yeah. And, uh, and all these other teams know that how the Patriots perform one week is not necessarily going to be a reflection of how they perform the next week. But now if the Patriots play the Dolphins next week, and that's a negative outcome for the Patriots, yeah. uh, then I'd, I would probably start getting a little bit more worried than I am right now. And then you're a defensive guy looking at the Patriots' defense. I mean, it they have struggled this year so far. What do they need to shore up, in your opinion, watching th- them play? Well, the thing is, they uh, up front, they're just not getting the pressure that they need uh, on the passer. And um, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that needs to be resolved. The other thing is, they've got they've – got, Huge linebackers. Those inside guys are houses. Uh, But, boy, when those guys have to get out in pass coverage, if the defensive line isn't pressuring the quarterback and they've got time, that puts a lot of pressure on those inside linebackers. Uh, And so I think think right now, in my opinion, one of the keys for the Patriots is they've got to ramp up what they're doing with their defensive front because – the nature of professional football right now is all around passers. And if you can't pressure the passers, it puts additional pressure on your, your linebackers and your secondary. And, yeah, once in a while you get coverage sacks, but that doesn't happen all the time. So I think the biggest thing for the Patriots right now is they need to get some defensive front pressure on teams that will uh, make the quarterback throw the ball sooner uh, which will help their linebackers and will help their secondary cover the pass. Yeah, last night, Matt Stafford, 262 passing yards, uh, 27 of 36 through the air, two touchdowns. Did get intercepted once, also got sacked once. Brady got sacked twice and only threw for 133 yards. The Patriots didn't have a first down, I think, until like late in the second quarter. And then Carryon Johnson ran for 101 yards for yeah. Detroit, which is significant because Detroit had not had a 100-yard rusher since like 2013. Something ridiculous. I can't believe they went five years basically without a 100-yard rusher, but they did. And they of finally course, if got you one. look at their record over those five years, well, yeah, you know, they, they've had their moments. But they've been a they've been a passing team certainly with Matt Stafford ever since absolutely. they drafted him out of uh, Georgia there a few years back. But so tough one last night for the Patriots. Um, Shifting over to college football, I want to touch on this a little bit. Um, University of Maine did lose to Central Michigan, but they're off to a good start this year. You're a UMaine alum. I mean, how excited are you about uh, about the Black Bears going into conference play? They already have one conference win to start the year over their arch rival and nemesis, arguably New Hampshire, right? <laughs> well, I'm excited. I'm excited because um, they're uh, they seem to have a pretty balanced football team this year. They got a, a good defense. Uh, they're, they're offensively they've Got a running attack, a passing attack. Uh, and, uh, you know, Central Michigan, uh, is a really good football program. Uh, uh, so, I mean, that loss is not something that would have been incredibly unexpected. But you're, you're absolutely right. Of course, anytime, if you're, if you're a Maine alum, anytime you beat UNH, right. it's a reason to celebrate. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, I'm pretty excited going into the conference. Um, of course, they're scheduled this year. Most of the time, they're on the road. Um, but um, I, 
I, they look to be a really sound football team. Uh, they look to be very competitive as what I see in the league. And um, I'm, uh, I'm uh, really a little sorry that I had to give up my season tickets and uh, don't get a chance to see them play. Yeah, tough I'm timing. Yeah. yeah, they're really good now. <laughs> yeah, but I think, they're, I, I think they're, they're looking at potential of a really good season. And then speaking of Maine, there's some interesting connections to one of the biggest upsets in recent years in college football. Old Dominion stunned Virginia Tech 49-35. to Not only is Old Dominion an FCS program like UMaine is, but Virginia Tech was a ranked FBS team, not only ranked, but 13th in the country 13th, yes. going in and had blown out Old Dominion the previous year. Old Dominion also did not have their starting quarterback. It was the backup quarterback who led them to victory. Uh, and there were some humane connections there, or some state of Maine connections, right? Yeah, no, and Old Dominion yeah. is was 0-3. Yeah, they were, yeah, they lost to <laughs> Liberty. They lost to Liberty by like 48 points or something ridiculous. Well, so. anybody who's a Maine fan recognizes the name Bobby Wilder. You know, Bobby was a humane quarterback and uh, then came back and was a coach with the program for a number of years. Uh, he also went down and uh, worked with Jack Picknell at Boston uh, College as a coach. And so uh, Bobby Wilder, you know, uh, uh, you know, a celebrated uh, Maine alum. Uh, gonna, I'm, I don't believe he's in the Hall of Fame yet, but I, I know he's due. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that they'll be, given his performance as the main quarterback, that they'll have a, there'll be any doubt that he'll go into the Hall of Fame. And, of course, his offensive coordinator, Brian Scott, um, was also a, a Maine alum, also played quarterback. They're both University of Maine quarterbacks. Um, and Brian, uh, I think, was the backup for three years and then uh, was the uh, starting quarterback as a senior. Uh, Bobby Wilder is from Madison, Maine, played quarterback in high school there. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Brian Scott was from Waterville. Mm-hmm. And was also a quarterback at Waterville High School, so uh, both those guys, uh, you know, are main football gems, so to speak. Both coming from Madison, not a huge community. Waterville, of course, bigger, but both good football towns. Yes, and uh, you know, Bobby Wilder probably would have had some choices to go a number of different places. Wanted to stay here, went to the University of Maine, had a great career there. So I mean, uh, everybody who's a Black Bear, Black Bear fan alum is celebrating the Old Dominion win uh, because uh, we'll take our share of the credit for uh, our two uh, University of Maine uh, alumni who are running that program. Of course, Scott's the offensive coordinator. Yeah. And they put some points on the board. Yes, they did. A, a stunning upset of Virginia Tech, especially especially because Virginia Tech's like known for their defense, right? Bud Foster yeah. is, uh, I think, my probably the longest tenure defensive coordinator in college football. Don't hold me to that, but close to it at least. 49 to 35. Uh, just uh, an amazing win. Old Dominion is located in Virginia. I had to look it up. They're in Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> and they uh, handled the boys from Blacksburg there uh, on uh, Saturday in, a, in really a, quite the shocker. And I understand, Aaron, that there's an old, there's a longstanding relationship between Virginia Tech and Old Dominion. And Virginia Tech, a ranked school, Agreed to play the game at it was Old at Dominion, Old Dominion, which, was, which is really unusual. Yeah, they well, did it as a favor. I think they didn't have to travel very far, but <laughs> they probably regret that decision. Will probably never play at Old Dominion <laughs> again. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, well, and I keep like my alma mater, Northwestern. I keep telling them stop schedule. I keep t- I keep saying on Twitter, stop scheduling Duke. There is no <laughs> reason 
because you're going to lose sometimes, which they did this year. There's no reason to schedule Duke because if you win, oh, you just beat Duke. And if you lose, it's like, well, you're worthless. So it's it's, it's those those games where you schedule these opponents where it's a no-win situation, I don't like at all. But. Of course, the smallest schools like it because it's, money, it's money makers the small for them, schools, yeah. yeah. Well, and then Akron, Northwestern lost to Akron also, and they paid Akron one point. Five million dollars for the privilege, or whatever it was, for losing. So yeah, Maine went <laughs> Maine went out to a Wisconsin a couple of years ago and oh. absolutely took a pounding. But the athletic program got a lot of money well, for that appearance. Maine did play Northwestern once at Ryan Field, and I, w- I was at that game, and Northwestern did win that one. But yeah, they paid Maine a lot for that also. Yeah. So it's good for the small schools to get some money, but it's it's such a no win situation for the bigger schools because if you win, well, you're supposed to, and if you lose, it's embarrassing. So. It is what it is, but uh, we'll take a short break. When we come back, I am going to ask you some questions about Coach Wing because he's not here, about his time playing at University of Maine because I know you overlapped a little bit or were close to each other there at the University of Maine. Um, and Coach Wing, you know, he's a little vague sometimes about his playing days, so I'll ask you a little bit about him here on the other side of the break. This is the B-List Daily on Sports Time 780 and live online at sportstimemaine.com. There's a winning culture when it comes to sports teams in New England. Well, now there's a new team to add to the list the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners. An all-star team of orthopedic care right here in your backyard. Four of the area's top orthopedic practices, OA Centers for Orthopedics, Central Maine Orthopedics, Falmouth Orthopedic Center, and Maine Ortho have joined forces to become a dream team of orthopedic care, where physicians, surgeons, sports medicine specialists, and clinical staff share resources and work as one to make patient care efficient and more affordable. To learn more about the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners and connect with a provider in your area, visit spectrumhcp.com slash ortho. That's spectrumhcp.com slash ortho. We believe in better, a better way to invest, a better way to serve you, and a better result. At Frisbee & Associates, we can help you determine how much risk you're taking, red flags that could be potential problems for you, how much you're paying in fees and commissions, potential tax liability, and how to address Social Security. For your free consultation, call Kevin Frisbee at 241-7430. Frisbee & Associates is located in Rumford, Brewer, and in Lewiston at 656 Main Street. Call 241-7430 online at frisbeebenefits.com. See something? Smell something? Do something. When your basement or crawl space smells, don't ignore it. Odors, mold, and harmful pollutants come from too much moisture and not enough air circulation making your home unhealthy. Do something. Call Wave Home Solutions today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. Experts recommend ventilation instead of dehumidifiers to reduce moisture and expel harmful gases and pollutants. Wave Moisture Control Units continuously dry out your home, transforming it into a fresher, healthier environment year-round. Wave Units cost only pennies a day to operate, and there are no buckets too empty. Call Wave today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. That's goodairusa.com or call 1-888-980-WAVE. Wave Home Solutions for a healthy, comfortable home. 
If you owe the IRS back taxes, payroll taxes, or have not filed your returns, the IRS will get you. Call Wallen Associates now and pay less than you owe. 800-727-0433. That's 800-727-0433. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs risk-free, call 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. All aboard MBR.org! The place to get all your high school and amateur sports news and information. MBR.org is in high gear with Maine High School Winter Sports. Go to MBR.org to chat about your favorite team. Find the latest articles, travel news and cancellations or visit their all new and very popular team pages mbr.org has everything you want to know about high school and amateur sports in maine coming in february all the high school tournament action at your fingertips 24 7 it's high school sports heaven all aboard mbr.org Welcome back into the Spectrum Healthcare Partners Studios. My name is Aaron Morse, filling in for Maddie B on the B List Daily on this Monday. We have Gus LeBlanc in studio, filling in for Coach Dave Wing, who before he was Coach Dave Wing was quarterback Dave Wing at the University of Maine. You guys didn't really overlap that much. I think you might have met him on your trip to visit. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, uh, the senior uh, spring of my senior year. Mm-hmm. Uh, in high school, Dave was a sen- the senior at Maine. Yeah, and that spring they had spring football, so they in, in they invited a lot of candidates in to spend time on campus and visit. And I happened to be there and uh, sat in on some of the pregame meetings and that kind of stuff uh, when Dave was there, and so got to know Dave then uh, a little bit, and then later coached uh, uh, against him. Uh, he was at Brewer, and then he was at Skowhegan, and. Uh, so I've known Dave off and on for oh, probably most of my adult life. What was he like as a college quarterback? Take us back to that. Well, it's interesting because uh, Dave, was a, Dave was a good college quarterback. Um, of course, at the time, Maine ran the wing tee. Mm-hmm. And uh, Walt Abbott, Coach Abbott, was the coach. And we were a pretty traditional uh, wing tee, 5-2 a defensive team, yeah, and uh, that continued when I got there uh, after Dave graduated. Um, but Dave had uh, was a good quarterback, had some uh, 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 pretty good supporting cast. Paul Bessie, who owns the uh, auto dealership up in Oxford, uh, was a wide receiver and was a gifted wide receiver. Uh, and Dave made a lot of connections with him. Uh, Dave won't mind me saying this on air. His joke always used to be that he had a passing record at Maine uh, until it was broken by Buck a number of years ago. 
Dave had the most interceptions <laughs> in a season uh, for a while. In a season, okay. Uh, yeah. That's a record you like to see broke. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was, he was. I think he might even sent Buck a, uh, uh, a thank you note when uh, he broke the, uh, the record. Of course, those of us that know Dave real well always tease him that uh, Buck uh, probably threw about 250 passes and right. Dave, Dave probably threw about 60. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, Dave was uh, – a good, a really good uh, wing T uh, uh, quarterback, and of course, in that situation, you end up throwing out of the waggle a lot, which mm-hmm. is on the run, right. which is a really difficult thing to do. I mean, especially if you're a righty going left, uh, people who haven't played the game before and had to throw, yeah. uh, a, you know, rotate your hips and throw. I don't know how difficult it was, but uh, no, Dave was the. Uh, uh, he was the leader of the pack when he was um, at Maine uh, as a quarterback, uh, and, and really uh, was a, was a good quarterback. Uh, he had a he had a couple of really good seasons. Uh, there was another guy by the name of Sandy Hastings who was also there at that time, and I think Sandy ended up being the quarterback after Dave graduated. Mm. Uh, but uh, no, Dave. Uh, of course, the the, the win loss records at Maine during those years were were, were not great, uh, but. Uh, a lot of uh, good games, close games, uh, some of them not so close. Uh, but Dave was, uh, he was the real deal. He was a, he was a really good uh, wing tee quarterback. Did you, so did you attend, I imagine you attended a lot of games when you were in high school, a lot of Maine games? Or? I attended some. Yeah. Of course, at the time, Maine played a lot of their games on Saturdays, and my high school games were ah. on Saturdays. Okay. So uh, once in a while, I'd get to see a game. Uh, when I was in high school. Of course, the other thing is, it was interesting. I grew up in Old Town, and my my house was right beside the uh, University Forest in Old Town. And so I could leave my house, walk up the street, take the path through the woods, and come out right by the football field <laughs> at Maine. Yeah. And so spent a lot of time there as a, as a kid. And, uh, for instance, uh, we played some night games, uh, Rockland High School, and some other places uh, early on had some lights, and we played well, a few night games. And of course, whenever I had a night game the next day on Saturday, if Maine was playing home, we could right. go and, and see him play. Yeah, now obviously most high school games are Friday nights, but there's still some holdouts who play on Saturday, right? So, yeah. do you, um, I mean, in, uh, in terms of the wing tee, you, you touched on that. It's still run at some schools, uh, but you, it is a lot of spread offenses now. Do you kind of miss seeing the wing tee all the time, or do you do you like the, the, the defending the spread? <laughs> Quite honestly, I'd rather defend the spread than the wing tee. Okay, yeah. I'll give you a good example. Chevrus yeah. is a wing tee team. Right. Uh, John Wolfgram uh, was a contemporary of Dave Wing at Maine. Mm-hmm. And actually, when I was a freshman at Maine playing uh, freshman football, John Wolfgram was my coach. Okay. He was one of the assistants. And uh, if you watch Chevrolet play today, they'll play a, a wing tee and they'll play a five-two, and which is you know those that that era of Maine graduates, yeah. a lot of them did that. The thing about the wing tee is it really puts the defense in a quandary uh, because if you look at the Buck Sweep series, you've got God Trap, you've got Buck Sweep, you've got Bootleg Waggle, mm-hmm. and of course. Uh, God trap goes up the middle. Yep. Buck sweep goes off tackle on one side. Bootleg waggle goes the other. And then, of course, uh, you got the belly series, which is a power football off tackle and uh, with a fullback, with a lead blocker. And then some teams will run option off that. 
and also belly pass and counter. So it it really uh, puts some real stress stress on the the defense. Uh, so I don't I don't miss defending the wing T because if a wing T team's got a lot of talent, uh, they're hard to defend. The other thing that has really gotten lost, I think, uh, with a lot of football coaches in the era of uh, spread football, the wing T uh, depends a lot on down blocking. Uh, it gives it gives your offensive linemen angle blocks, mm-hmm. and so you can take a lineman who maybe may not be quite as good as a defensive player. But you got an advantage because you're blocking angles, you're pulling and trapping, you're blocking down, and um, I think a lot of that's been lost. You see a lot of zone blocking now, right? Uh, which colleges and the pros do, yeah. And you know, and if you if you got guys that are bench pressing, or you know, and you got great the great physical specimens, right? Zone blocking is great, and 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 a lot of high schools are successful with zone blocking. But the one thing the wing T teams really had an advantage of for their kids was that. They had that those angle blocks, and uh, I used to love it. I mean, the, one of the schemes is what's it's called down, and you know if you run it to the tight end side, the, the the end blocks down, the tackle blocks down, and the guard pulls, either kicks out or leads, and the blocking assignment for the the down blockers are easy. First man inside, on or off the line of scrimmage. If someone crosses your face, you take them, mm. and so that kid knows I'm on a path to the inside. I'm going. Like uh, my my tail's on fire, yeah, and I'm blocking the first guy there, and it's an angle block. It's an advantage. So yeah, I I, I miss that part of the wing tee. Mm-hmm. I really do. I know, and you mentioned zone blocking. I I think I want to say the Denver Broncos with Mike Shanahan when he was the head coach made that kind of famous because they would just churn out 1,000 yard rushers every year, and because they were just running this zone blocking scheme that with these big linemen that were uh, <laughs> yeah. they could just. It, it was, I remember you know a, a running back would get hurt, the next guy would step up and run for a thousand yards in the season, and they would they could do that with third stringers and everything. So. Obviously, all sorts of different things go down in the trenches, which we don't necessarily see as fans, right? I mean, yeah. And the thing is, is is when you see a team that is really good at zone blocking, you know, they they're getting off the ball and 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 they're reaching and they're um, zone blocking. It really is a pretty sight because you got you usually have five linemen moving in unison, mm-hmm. you know. And one of the things a lot of uh, fans might miss is a lot of times when you're looking at option teams. Uh, you're seeing a lot of zone blocking, and uh, the fans don't realize that they can. They see that uh, they see the defense is having a hard time deciding whether to take the dive man right. or the quarterback or the pitch man. But what's happening is the offense is is leaving somebody on the line unblocked, and they're zone blocking the others, and the quarterback's reading that. Well, it doesn't work without good zone blocking. So. You know, nowadays you see a good option team. You're probably seeing some good zone blocking. Great. Well, we got um, Lewiston at Bangor this Friday night. Uh, you'll be there before you're, you're head to Lambeau Field this upcoming weekend to check out the Green Bay Packers. And am I correct? You've never been to Lambeau, and that's like your uh, that's it, like the holy ground mecca for you. Yeah, that's this is on my bucket list. Yeah, it's something I wanted to do. Uh, you know, I became a Green Bay Packers fan. Uh, my dad was uh, ran a business, and Sundays was the only day he had off. And mm-hmm. you know he ran a business where he worked, 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 worked. Yeah. And he and I didn't have a lot of time together. So in the early '60s, 
uh, he started watching the Packers when Vince Lombardi was there. And as a kid, spending time with dad on Sunday afternoon, I would watch the Packers, became a Packers fan. I've been a Packers fan my whole life. You know, Bart Starr was the quarterback yeah. when I first started watching. And, you know, I went up through Lynn Dickey and um, Brett Favre and, you know, Aaron Rodgers and everybody else. And uh, remember the old... Uh, uh, you know when they won the state champ, the uh, excuse me, the uh, the first Super Bowls right. and NFL champ. I've been a fan my whole life. Have always wanted to go to Lambeau Field. Weekend when they played the Buffalo Bills, the resurgent Buffalo Bills. Yeah, uh, apparently no one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. They crushed the Vikings. I don't. So are you a little worried now? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, nobody saw that coming. No, I was, I was watching. Uh, I was watching ESPN, and they were commenting about. Uh, the people in the survivor pool went from like a hundred thousand right. down to fifty nine thousand, right. because everybody picked Minnesota to beat the Bills. Right? Yeah, uh, yeah. They came back with a vengeance, and uh, I'm expecting this is going to be a good game. On hoping it's going to be a good game on Saturday. The Packers are hurting right now. Um, uh, first of all, of course, Aaron Rodgers' knee is. Uh, affected his mobility, right? And uh, which is such a huge part of his game. I mean, he's got a great arm, but when he can run it, I mean, he's almost unstoppable. And you know, uh, just to draw a parallel, when you look at the Packers, they're a lot like, in some ways, the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. You look at what Patrick Mahomes did this last weekend. I mean, very impressive. He was on fire. He was everywhere. But then, if you look at the uh, the Kansas City defense, yeah. They are absolutely last in the NFL in yards a lot, you know. And what, but what's going on is that they've got a quarterback who's a gunslinger who makes up for that. Right. Well, the Packers' defense isn't as bad as Kansas City, but there's their defense is questionable. And when Aaron Rodgers is on his game, he makes up for that. But now with Rodgers kind of hobbled, right? Uh, I'm not sure uh, that he's going to be able to make up. For that defense, and like you watch what happened against Washington this past weekend, uh, he got sacked four times. Uh, uh, Packers got what two consecutive pass interference calls, and then a play later, a third, leading to a touchdown for the Redskins. So I, I think this is going to be a game this weekend. The roughing the passer call on Clay Matthews. It happened again. Um, it looked like a picture perfect tackle from my point of view, but it was called roughing the passer. Uh, as a defensive person, as a defensive coordinator, your thoughts on the NFL saying basically you, if you're hitting the quarterback, you need to not fall on him. <laughs> I, I don't know how you do that, but that's what they're saying. I think the NFL needs to fix this. Yeah. Um, first of all, I watched the game, and I think the officials are enforcing the rule as it's written. Mm -hmm. The problem is if you've played football, and you've played as a defensive player, and you've had to rush the quarterback, you know, you're rushing the quarterback pretty much with total reckless abandon. And when you get there, to stop and go, okay, wait a second, what's my checklist here? Right. <laughs> you know, I can do this, I can do that, I can't do this, is tough. Yeah. I understand why the NFL's got this rule. I mean, I just talked about Patrick Mahomes, and I talked about uh, Roger Aarons. Uh, yeah, yeah. Aaron Rodgers, yeah. um, the NFL is trying to protect their quarterbacks, right? You know, but the problem is, I looked at the 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 ones by uh, uh, Matthews, and geez, you know, his his head's on the side, 
He's hit. He's making his contact between the shoulders and yeah. above the knees, just like he's supposed to. He makes the hit, and then once you both leave your feet to say, "Okay, now I got to spin off in midair," right? Yeah, <laughs> it is really, really difficult. And surprisingly, in that same game, there was a tackle of Rogers, where the uh, the Washington guy landed on top of Rogers, and there wasn't a flag. So I I don't know I I I think yeah they got to protect their quarterbacks and I have seen hits in the past where I would say the defensive player was pile driving mm-hmm. I I call it pile driving right. the quarterback into the ground that needs to be stopped yeah and uh, I think the NFL officials are good enough to be able to separate those two things I need to think they either do one or two things. They need to change the way the, 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 the rule is written or they need to give the, the officials a little bit more latitude mm-hmm. in that call because what they're really doing is they're taking the aggressiveness away from the pass rushers. I, I, I understand the rule. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's changing the game in a way that a lot of people don't like. Yeah, Clay Matthews very frustrated after the game, obviously, as he continues to get called for that penalty each and every game, it seems like. And it's been costly for them. I believe it was costly in that, uh, what, they, the tie they had, I think. Yes. Yeah, so. I think it may, yeah, probably they had a chance to win that game. So we'll see how that ends up going and whatnot. A reminder, we're going to have Mike Dusso on to talk uh, New England Patriots, uh, patspropaganda.com at 11 a.m. He'll be calling in, at least that's the plan, uh, <laughs> at that time. And I was looking at his website and he said about the Patriots that even I'm starting to wonder if this is finally the year the Patriots just don't have it. Ouch. And his website is literally patspropaganda.com. So his, <laughs> he makes it quite clear that he's normally an optimist um, and, and not in this particular case, I suppose. They sell T-shirts on here that have Atlanta 28, New England 3, third quarter, 2-12 left. <laughs> <laughs> like they have the scoreboard on it, so like it's funny. But uh, no, but he's not he's not feeling it, and we'll have to ask him about that uh, when he ca- comes on at eleven. Because obviously the Patriots are off to a bit of a rough start this year. Baseball, it seems like we sometimes forget about baseball this time of year because it's not quite October yet. Most pennant races are pretty much uh, wrapped up. Um, the Red Sox are just on cruise control. I mean, they're five and five over the last ten, but they're some one hundred and five wins this year and have the the best record in baseball, but you know, it is getting closer and closer to the playoffs. I mean, are the Red Sox the favorites of the postseason? They have the best record, but do you think they're the best team? I think they're the best team with the, with the weakest uh, bullpen, <laughs> you know, I, and I, of course I'm no, I have no great insight on that one. I think if you talk to a uh, hundred people about the Red Sox and you say, what's their weakness? Uh, 99% of the people are going to say, Oh, their bullpen. I, I think, uh, I think the uh, Red Sox are definitely the best uh, team in uh, the American League, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know a very uh, competitive. I mean, they just uh, you know they got Martinez. I mean he's uh, he's incredible. Yeah. You got Mookie Betts. I mean he had another great night, even though they they lost uh, to Cleveland yesterday. I think he got a home run, a single, and two doubles. He's got thirty one home runs. He's got forty six doubles. Um, he, uh, I mean, it's just, um, yeah, they, they're a good, they're, I think they're probably, uh, the, the choice to win. Mm. Um, uh, but, uh, time will tell. 
Yeah, short playoff series. Anything can happen. Watch out for the Astros, defending World Series champions. They're they're not going anywhere. They're they're most likely going to win the American League West. Although Oakland has been on fire recently, but the magic number is three for Houston um, to win the West Division. And then in the National League, uh, the there's a couple of races still going on. The the Rockies are one and a half games back of the Dodgers. Uh, the Rockies have won three in a row. The Dodgers have won two straight. So those two teams. Uh, going at it, and then you look at Milwaukee is two and a half back of the Cubs in the Central. St. Louis is kind of still hanging around as well. Atlanta's wrapped up the AL, uh, pardon me, NL East. So uh, the National League maybe a little overlooked sometimes. Obviously, New England because of the Red Sox are in the AL, but there's some good teams there as well. But so we'll see what happens. Cleveland's had the AL Central wrapped up since I think like July. <laughs> Yeah. So there's not, and there's some bad teams in the American League. You look at Baltimore has lost 110 games right now. They, they are, their huh. run differential is negative 256. How they, is that possible? They've been outscored by 256 runs this year. The Red Sox, by comparison, have outscored teams by 216 uh, runs this season, certainly. So, and then my Mariners have been eliminated from postseason contention, as probably would be expected. They're 85 and 70, but they really should be 74 and 81 based on their negative 35 run differential this year. <laughs> so they've won a lot of one-run games, but they've also been uh, blown out a few times. So they they sure faded. They went from being up on Oakland by 11 games to now being down uh, by uh, nine. Or, well, it's, they're eliminated, so it doesn't even matter. But <laughs> yeah, a little a uh, little uh, bit of uh, cause for worry for the. Yankees fans, I right. I saw what Gregorius uh, did two things at once. He uh, scored a run, which will get the Yankees into the uh, get a playoff berth, and but he tore cartilage in his hand, and I guess they're going to lose their starting uh, uh, shortstop in the playoffs. Yeah, that's tough. He's been a star for them since he, has. I mean, he had to take over for Derek Jeter. Jeter yeah. and there's some shoes you want to fill, yeah, huh? right. <laughs> So, but he, he's, he's done a great job. But, uh, yeah, that injury, that's tough for the Yankees, who have won 95 games of their own this year. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned, they've clinched a, a wild card spot. Um, Oakland has almost clinched a wild card spot. Tampa Bay technically still hanging in, but Oakland's going to get the assignment. Yeah, I love my friends who are Yankees fans. I mean, they, they've won 10 more games than they did last year. Or, and they're... And, and, and they want the manager fired, and right? they're beside themselves, yeah. you know. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm I'm happy for the Yankees that uh, they're going to at least get in as a wild card. And I, it's too bad about Gregorius. The other thing, Aaron, as I saw, where uh, uh, in the Texas Rangers, Andre uh, Beltre, uh, there's some talk about him retiring. Yeah, the season's over. He got a standing O from the Texan fans at the last home game yesterday, and just a great uh, baseball player and contributor to the game. Uh, I hope uh, if he does retire, he'll be missed. Yeah, he had his one year with the, with the Red Sox. One year with the Red Sox. It yeah. got him, it got, he, he needed to sign a one-year contract because he was a complete bust in Seattle, but that's a different matter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll take another break. We'll have Mike so on the other side, uh, talking some more New England Patriots. Get an outside perspective from PatsPropaganda.com. This is the B-List Daily on Sports Time 780 Live Online, SportsTimeMaine.com. You're listening to the B-List Daily on Sports Time Maine, AM 780, WTME, Rumford, Mexico, Dixfield. There's a winning culture when it comes to sports teams in New England. Well, now there's a new team to add to the list. The orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners. An all-star team of orthopedic care right here in your backyard. Four of the area's top orthopedic practices, OA Centers for Orthopedics, 
Central Maine Orthopedics, Falmouth Orthopedic Center, and Maine Ortho have joined forces to become a dream team of orthopedic care, where physicians, surgeons, sports medicine specialists, and clinical staff share resources and work as one to make patient care efficient and more affordable. To learn more about the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners and connect with a provider in your area, visit spectrumhcp.com slash ortho. That's spectrumhcp.com slash ortho. We believe in better, a better way to invest, a better way to serve you, and a better result. At Frisbee & Associates, we can help you determine how much risk you're taking, red flags that could be potential problems for you, how much you're paying in fees and commissions, potential tax liability, and how to address Social Security. For your free consultation, call Kevin Frisbee at 241-7430. Frisbee & Associates is located in Rumford, Brewer, and in Lewiston at 656 Main Street. Call 241-7430 online at frisbeebenefits.com. See something? Smell something? Do something. When your basement or crawl space smells, don't ignore it. Odors, mold, and harmful pollutants come from too much moisture and not enough air circulation making your home unhealthy. Do something. Call Wave Home Solutions today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. Experts recommend ventilation instead of dehumidifiers to reduce moisture and expel harmful gases and pollutants. Wave Moisture Control Units continuously dry out your home, transforming it into a fresher, healthier environment year-round. Wave units cost only pennies a day to operate, and there are no buckets too empty. Call Wave today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. That's goodairusa.com or call 1-888-980-WAVE. If you owe the IRS back taxes, payroll taxes, or have not filed your returns, the IRS will get you. Call Wallen Associates now and pay less than you owe. 800-727-0433. That's 800-727-0433. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs risk-free, call 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. All aboard MBR.org! The place to get all your high school and amateur sports news and information. MBR.org is in high gear with Maine High School Winter Sports. Go to MBR.org to chat about your favorite team. Find the latest articles, travel news, and cancellations or visit their all new and very popular team pages mbr.org has everything you want to know about high school and amateur sports in maine coming in february all the high school tournament action at your fingertips 24 7 it's high school sports heaven all aboard mbr.org
Welcome back into the Spectrum Healthcare Partner Studios. Aaron Morris filling in for Maddie B on this Monday morning. We have Gus LeBlanc in studio. Mike Duso should be calling in in just a minute or two as we're right at 11 o'clock here on this Monday. But yeah, I mentioned his article at patspropaganda.com. It starts off the Patriots have had plenty of September stinkers over the years where an average to terrible team goes toe-to-toe with them and either flames out right at the end or dispatches the Patriots and the punditry, punditry, I can't pronounce that, gleefully jumps to pronounce the dynasty dead. Usually in those games, it was just a case of a good football team playing bad football, and the Pats would snap out of it with a statement win near the end of the month. And then they'd cruise into the playoffs, constantly getting better and fighting through the kind of injuries that would derail every other team. I spent the early parts of those seasons being level-headed, reminding everyone how hard it is to win in the NFL. How amazing it was that we just took for granted that the Pats have been doing it for going on two decades. Because it was always clear to me that those Patriots teams that sputtered in September were far better than they looked on the field. I still believe that last week after the perfect storm loss at Jacksonville. But now, after an all-around flat performance in Detroit, even I'm starting to wonder if this is finally the year the Patriots just don't have it. And then the article kind of goes on from there and we'll have him elaborate more uh, when he calls in. But um, you mentioned before that Patriots fans should be a little concerned, but you do have trust in Belichick, and obviously with Edelman coming back and Gordon coming back, there's reasons to have hope, but what do you think about that statement from him that this might be the final year where it might be coming to an end? I mean, Brady is uh, is not young <laughs> in terms of football years, I suppose. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, when you were reading that, uh, the, the, state, the statement that really kind of resonated with me, it, and it really struck me, when I watched the game was he used the term flat performance. Mm-hmm, right. And when I watched the Patriots, as I said earlier, I was just a, just really surprised about how flat they were. And the other thing you just said, Aaron, I mean, I think you, you're never going to be able to take away from Tom Grady what a great quarterback he was, ha, is, and has, you know, has been over the years. Yeah. But, you know, all the great quarterbacks get to a point. I mean, Johnny Unitas got to a point uh, where uh, it wasn't in the cards for him anymore. Joe Namath, Brett Favre, I mean, uh, all these guys. Uh, and uh, if you really look over the years, Tom Brady has continued to be a very good quarterback, but the level of magic that he's produced the last couple of years has begun to diminish a little bit. And I'm not so sure that he has the supporting cast right now uh, that he may have had in the past. So when you put those two things together, you know, a, a really high-quality quarterback that is probably in the waning years of his career. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't have as much of a supporting uh, cast. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot of backstories going on with the Patriots that I think eat away a little bit. you got this whole thing about friction between Brady and Belichick, and you got this whole thing about them wanting to trade Gronk. Uh, to the Lions and Gronk saying, well, I'll retire first. And so you put all that stuff in the soup bowl. Uh, you know, it may not be as uh, good a tasting soup as it's been in the past. So, yeah, I'm a little worried. I'm not really willing to put on my life jacket yet. Uh, but I, I think there's a cause for concern. Certainly. And uh, as he mentions in the article, the defense had trouble stopping the run. Obviously, some injuries to their, you know, to some of their key defenders is a factor as well. So we'll see. Hopefully, um, uh, Mike Duso will be calling in shortly. But for now, before we uh, start talking Patriots with him, before we uh, 
calls in here. There are a couple other storylines um, in the NFL I think you wanted to talk about. Um, one of them being uh, Dallas seems like they're uh, dead in the water a little bit, aren't they? Especially after they lost to the Seahawks, who were 0-2. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I was really happy for the Seahawks because Seahawks, I, I know they're struggling. I mean, I guess they they struggled with the salary cap this last year, and they're paying Wilson a lot of money. He's a good quarterback. But I just may use the term supporting cast with Brady. Right. When I look at the supporting cast that uh, Wilson's got with the Seahawks, uh, I think to myself, oh, God, I don't know. But I think the real story there, I think you're right, Aaron. I think the real story there is is what's going on with the Dallas Cowboys and, you know, where, you know, where are they headed? You know, they um, – the lack of production by Zach Prescott oh, yeah. has just stuck out like a sore thumb. You know, I think uh, this is the ninth time in the last 11 games that Prescott's played. He's thrown for less than 200 yards, mm. you know. Uh, and just as Brady only threw for 133 yesterday, uh, Prescott, you know, nine games, less than 200. That's not the kind of production the Dallas Cowboys are going to uh, need. And, and when you look at the Dallas Cowboys line – and if you look at the offensive line last year and this year, um, I, I'm concerned for the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, and, and, and Prescott's receivers haven't really helped him either. Uh, so I, I, think, I think Cowboys are in trouble, and I wouldn't be surprised, given Jerry Jones' history, um, that uh, there's going to be some uh, trouble down there for uh, Jason Garrett as well. You sound a little happy about this. You're not necessarily a Cowboys person, are you? <laughs> I've never been a Cowboys fan. Uh, I was uh, I was always a Bill Parcells fan. Okay. Loved Bill Parcells. Yeah. Always hated the Jets. Never really liked the Cowboys. Cheered for the Jets when Parcells was there. Uh, okay, right. Cheered for the Cowboys yeah. when Parcells was there. Yeah. But I've never really, really, really been a Jerry Jones fan. Uh, it isn't really the Cowboys. I don't particularly right. appreciate it's been their owner. Gotcha. Uh, so, but I'm really concerned for the Cowboys. I I don't see this turning out well this season. Yeah. So certainly a, a loss for them there to the Seahawks. Obviously, it's tough to win in Seattle, but they lost that one 24-13. Some other scores around the NFL from Sunday: Chicago defeated Arizona 16 to 14. The Rams look really good right now. They are a well-oiled machine with Jared Goff and company. 35-23 over the Chargers. Tennessee uh, somehow won nine to six over Jacksonville in a game that I don't think anyone wanted to watch um, (laughs) based on those offenses. Um, New Orleans in overtime in the exact opposite of that. The other game I just mentioned (laughs) in an offensive shootout uh, won it by a score of 43 to 37 over Atlanta. Drew Brees is ageless. Apparently Dolphins over the Raiders 28 to 20, as I mentioned, uh, Miami off to a good start. We touched on the fact Washington defeated Green Bay 31-17. Giants over the Texans 27-22. The Eagles in the return of Carson Wentz 20-16 over Andrew Lux and Indianapolis Colts. The Ravens 27-14 winners over the Broncos. And the shocker of the day, Buffalo 27-6 over Minnesota. Yeah. Carolina, 31-21 over Cincinnati. And the Chiefs, as you mentioned, keep on rolling with that offense. They gave up 27 points to the 49ers, but they scored 38 and win by 11 in that one. And the 49ers 
lost their quarterback. Jimmy G out for the year. The former Patriots player. That, that's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, I think uh, everybody, I mean, I think uh, Garoppolo is one of those people that everybody feels good about. I may be wrong. There may be someone listening who doesn't, but I, he, he's a he's a young quarterback that I I personally wanted to see succeed, right? And was uh, thrilled that he. A matter of fact, <clears throat> when we're trying to get tickets for the uh, Packers, really wanted to go see the Packers in San Francisco play. Oh, sure, because I wanted to see Garoppolo play. But yeah, the ACL is just uh, it's just uh, that's a season-ending injury, of course, and nine months of rehabilitation. And uh, I just uh, was sorry to see that happen. That's the the real negative backstory there. Hey, you know the Giants. Um, that's an interesting story too, because how many years? The last couple of years of the Giants started. They've struggled, uh, and everybody, you know, Eli Manning this and Eli Manning that. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course, as a former offensive line coach, um, watch the game, and I see the kind of pressure he's under, and how often he gets sacked, and I think to myself, God, you know, Giants offensive line ought to be going to the newspaper and TV <laughs> going like, hey, guys, it's not it's not Eli's fault. We're, right. not, we're not protecting him. But against the Texans, Eli had a great day. I guess he completed 25 passes, 297 yards, two TDs, and he had a QBR of 132.3. So he had a great day. Now, yeah. granted, the Texans aren't the uh, – Creme de creme, but the uh, Patriots didn't put him away. Yeah. Uh, so I was happy for the Giants. Absolutely. I'm texting Mike Dusso right now. Maddie just sent me his phone number, so hopefully we can get uh, Mike to call in. But, um, you know, Mahomes, a, f- a first year starter there in Kansas City, as you mentioned, he's been so impressive. Tell me, I mean, have you obviously observed quarterbacks through the years? I'm. Any level, whether it be high school, college, or the pros, when you're a first-year starter, that's tough. I mean, what are some things those guys need to do to have success, and what do you see from Mahomes doing what makes him so successful? Well, it's interesting. You know, when you're a new quarterback and uh, you've got so much to learn, you know, of course, I've never coached at that level. Mm. But, you know, uh, I had a guy by the name of Steve Bell who's now the principal at uh, Dexter Regional High School. He was my quarterback. And what made him special as a quarterback was he knew what everybody on the field had to do on every play. He knew the guard's assignment, the center's assignment. He knew all the passing routes. He knew what his backs needed to do. Uh, and, and that's a tremendous learning curve for a high school kid. So when I take that and I think about what a, a professional quarterback has to learn, I can't imagine the learning curve uh, that Mahone's had. Now, this is his second year. Right. In the league, right? But uh, this is his first year as a starter. But when you think this guy has thrown thirteen touchdowns to nine different receivers <laughs> in three weeks, yeah, uh, he's on his game. Yeah, he's on his game, and right now he's what's making the Kansas City Chiefs go. I mean, without him, they're just another team. Right. Uh, he's uh, he's made a huge difference. So. Uh, he must uh, the learning curve and the pressure that he's under, and of course the other thing is a as a as a first year starting quarterback, every defensive coach is going, hey this guy's a first year starting quarterback. What kind of wrinkles can we throw at him that he's not expecting? Right, they're going to throw him off his game. Well, whatever the defensive coordinators in the EFL has thrown at Mahomes, 
it doesn't seem to have made the difference because he's scrambling, he's throwing on the run. And when that kid throws the ball, it, it reminds me of Brett Favre. It, mm. it's, it's, it's got a lot of velocity, and it's, it's a rope. It's right on a line. And he threw one uh, in the game Saturday, which was kind of sidearm to get around somebody, and it was still a rope. Yeah. It was still on a line. Very impressive. Looking at some of the quarterbacks so far this year, Drew Brees is continuing to shine. He's already thrown for over 1,000 yards this year through three games, which is uh, pretty amazing, even in this era. Kirk Cousins, despite yesterday's disaster, is um, second in passing yards at 965. Jared Goff, he's got Todd Gurley there in L.A., but Goff is really coming to his own. Uh, he was good last year. He's borderline great so far this year. Derek Carr's had to throw a lot because his team's been behind. But uh, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes, surprisingly, seventh in passing yards, but he's thrown 13 touchdowns and yeah. no interceptions. And if you look at the top 10 players, uh, quarterbacks in terms of yardage, he's the only one without an interception besides Drew Brees. Drew Brees as well has not been picked off, but uh, he has five more touchdown passes than even Drew Brees so far this year. So And and I would categorize Drew Breeze, uh, Breeze as a as a gunslinger. Yeah. Uh, just just like Brett Favre. Those guys, you know, they're just they're just slinging the ball everywhere and and how many times if you look back over the last couple of years has New Orleans been involved in one of those like almost 100 points being scored in a game, you know, uh they've they've, oh, it's they've been involved in a lot yeah. of those. <laughs> uh here's a trivia question. Can you tell me the only NFL quarterback right now with a higher passer rating than Patrick Mahomes? No. Ryan Fitzpatrick of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, really? Now, that's only two games because they play tonight. That's right. They play tonight. But still, <laughs> he, he's averaging 410 passing yards a game through wow. two games. Who they? I don't know. Do you know who they played? Uh, I can get you that in a second. Uh, uh, they've been pretty electric, though, so far uh, this season. The Eagles, they beat the Eagles okay. 27-21. And in that game, Fitzpatrick completed 81.8% of his passes for 402 yards and four wow. touchdowns. He did get picked off once. And then, well, actually, the previous game was New Orleans. They beat 48-40. And yeah, another one of those New Orleans right. games yeah. with the high scores. He threw for 417 yards in that game, four touchdowns, and did not get picked off. So he has eight touchdowns and only well, one interception through two games. Well, it'll be interesting to watch him tonight because the Steelers are, uh, they've got some internal struggles going on oh in their gosh. team. Yeah. You know, and uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what kind of a game it is tonight for him. Yeah, the NFL, obviously, there's, there's a lot of egos. There's a lot of money at stake. Um, obviously, there's there's no, there's no money at stake in high school football. Are there, are there egos that, that coaches have to balance in high school football at all? Like, does that ever happen? Of course there's egos. There are? Okay, I don't know. Of course like, I wonder if it's not quite the level of the NFL, though, probably, no. right? <laughs> no, not at all. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, every one of us, uh, a lot of us, who coach coach for the love of the game? Yeah, but, you know, there's got to be. If you don't have some ego in the game, uh, you're probably not going to stick around very long. You know, yeah. I mean, it's uh, uh, for a lot of coaches, the game of football is uh, a, uh, is part of their identity and obviously part of their ego. Probably not uh, to the levels that <laughs> you run into in the NFL, uh, but uh, yeah. There's some, obviously. Mike Dusso says he's calling right now. He's got a sick kid at home, and so it threw him off. Oh. So no worries there, Mike. Well, looking forward to your phone call in just a moment. But, yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 
Monday Night Football tonight against the Steelers will be interesting because, as you mentioned, Pittsburgh, you know, Antonio Brown said to trade him on Twitter, and Le'Veon Bell is still having reported. He's 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 sacrificing eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars a week to make a point. I, <laughs> I, I it's it's just that's just some scale of money that I, I can't even comprehend. Well, you know that the other <laughs> thing about that is that's one of the things right now that is in the process of changing the NFL. I mean, they're paying people so much money. Uh, that people can make those decisions. Say, I'm going to hold out. I've got so much money in the bank, I can afford to do that. You know, and then you run up situations like they've got in Seattle, where they they pumped up uh, Wilson's salary, and then because of the salary cap, they couldn't right. get a supporting cast. And yeah, so yeah, uh, the interesting thing at the Steelers is that uh, he's passing up that money, but uh, you know, uh, not everybody is supportive of the coach there, all the players. At least that's the little inkling that I heard. Uh, oh, Mike Tomlin? Well, uh, they're not supporting of Le'Veon Bell. Like, they're yeah, oh, some no. of the players said, like, you know, you're not, um, you know, being good for the team with your holdout and everything. All right, Mike Deuce always called in. Give me one second, and we'll get him on the air here on Sports Time 780. All right, we got Mike Dusso on the phone with us here live from PatsPropaganda.com. And, Mike, I read the first couple paragraphs earlier of your article that you have posted today. And a key line for me was when you mentioned that this is the first time that you feel maybe this is finally the year the Patriots just don't have it. Tell us uh, your three major maybe concerns, if not more, about this current Patriots team. Sure, well, I mean... Where to start? I guess is the big question. Uh, you know, it's just they haven't they haven't looked good in, in the last two weeks in any sense. I mean, there's nothing to really grasp onto. You know, they've had those September losses before that. You know, it's, it's you know everybody overreacted to those, and, and usually it's you know you can see at least uh, some semblance of a team there that you know can maybe actually get some stuff done. But uh, you know, so far it's just I mean they're they're terrible on both sides of the ball. They haven't been able to move the ball. They haven't been able to to stop anything, really. Um, you know, I, I, I really pride myself on not being overreactionary, uh, but it's just, unfortunately, it looks like a team that lost a lot of good players and nobody has really stepped to the forefront and taken kind of that mantle. So, you know, I have no doubt that they will improve. Uh, I just I just don't know where, to, where they're going to turn to because right now nobody's making any plays uh, on, on either side of the ball. And, you know, for me, watching the game last night, once I heard they only had three active wide receivers for the game, I've never heard such a thing. I don't know if, how rare that is, but that really concerned me right off the bat. I know Edelman obviously still suspended, and, and, and Josh Gordon is uh, not healthy yet. But, I mean, once I heard that, that's a huge concern too, right? Uh, uh, no depth there at wide oh, receiver. Yeah, Yeah. well, I mean, it's you know, it's, it's, it all feeds into each other, you know, and, and I – before the start of the game last night, I said they better get Sony Michelle and or Rex Burkhead going or it's going to be a grind, and they didn't get those guys going. Uh, they're getting stuck in third and longs, and, they're, you know, and then they're getting behind on the, on the scoreboard, which usually means you have to you know, pass the ball more. And you know, in the past, we say, oh, all right, well, we got you know, some different wide receivers we can go to. We got Amandola and Edelman in the middle that can get open, and we got guys outside. But uh, you know, there's just nothing doing. And, I mean, they're, 
they're terrible on third down on both sides of the ball. So it's just, uh, it, it's really, I mean, I, I, you know, we've been spoiled as, as Patriot fans and observers over the last, uh, you know, however many years. It's going on two decades now. Uh, so it's hard to remember a time like this. But, you know, there's just not a lot there to say, well, I think things are going to be okay uh, just because we don't have any players that have done it before. They, they're not, and the guys that, you know, they were kind of hoping to step up have not stepped up. So the Josh Gordon acquisition, your thoughts? Can this be the thing that helps turn things around, or is you don't count on him, do you? Or perhaps not. I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to count on him. I mean, it's, yeah. it's sure uh, you know on paper you could pencil him in and say, but I mean, we all know what a complicated transition that is. I mean, to mention you know how what is Josh Gordon's football IQ like? I have no idea. I mean, obviously his. His off-the-field troubles have been well-documented. But, I mean, for any wide receiver outside of probably Randy Moss, uh, it's a really hard thing to come into New England and pick it up on the fly. He's already dealing with a hamstring injury, so it's, it's not like, oh, he's going to come in next week and all of a sudden change the offense. Uh, you know, Edelman, we know, will be back in a couple weeks, so that, that is a definite boost. But, you know, how much can they rely completely on Julian Edelman when you're off an ACL? What is he, 32 years old now? Uh, he's not going to fix everything. So they're going to have to get Jacob Hollister back in there. They're, they're going to have to do a number of things. But Josh Gordon, I'm still just on the fence of just we just have to wait. But as you said, they have three wide receivers. So, I mean, how the bar isn't that high for him to just step in and be a specialty fourth wide receiver. Hey, Mike, uh, interesting. When I read your article uh, this morning, uh, you used the term flat performance to describe uh, the Patriots yesterday. And when I watched the game, that's the thing that jumped right out at me. Even a week ago when they lost, they didn't seem to be that flat. Any explanation for that? Because it really seems to me to be pretty uncharacteristic of a Patriots team. It is. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, there's just not a lot of emotion. And then you saw, you know, Dietrich Wise, uh, you know, blowing up that, that one, you know, when he made that one nice play there and then it set up the interception. And, you know, it almost felt forced. It almost felt like you could literally hear Belichick yelling them at the halftime for showing no emotion, yeah. no real fire. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, what has essentially happened, it feels like, is, and, and granted, you gotta, I mean, we do have to say, they didn't have Trey Flowers and Patrick Chung, and that, those absences yes. are huge. Yes. You know, those guys, and, and you know, obviously it shouldn't be that big, but essentially you've got your good veterans are all looking like they're regressing. Uh, Dante Hightower, Devin McCourty, Deron Harmon, these guys that you were kind of counting on, uh, are all looking slow and late to react and, and poor tackling, and then the guys up front that you're trying to turn the page to uh, outside of Wise, and even he was inconsistent, but, you know, guys like Adam Butler, um, you know, you bring in a guy like Adrian Claiborne, who, you know, who got more playing time last night, was unproductive. It's just the new guys aren't stepping up, and the old guys are getting worse, and so it just looks like you're left with nothing, and they, just, they have no fire, they have no, you know, energy to them. It's just, it's, it's kind of like it was back in 2008 remember these you know these things or they just they didn't have that energy that you're used to seeing the Patriots play with and and, and I would expect that that will return it has to return yeah. uh, these guys work too hard for it not to so you you think that uh, in the past when similar things have happened uh, uh, Brady's always seemed to have the octane to uh, turn turn it around you you see that in the future this year I mean, I, I know they're going to be better. I mean, I know that they're, they're, they are too many football nerds on that team who are going to be so disgusted with this loss um, that you know that they're probably already in Foxborough Stadium right now, uh, you know, trying to put this one behind them. 
Um, but at the same time, you, you have to be realistic about, you know, who are the horses? Who are the guys that are going to start stepping up? And, you know, they just, they just don't have that kind of depth, especially on offense right now. And, I mean, it seems like all of the running backs are kind of damaged goods. I mean, Burkhead exits again with another injury. Right. And you're left with Sony Michelle, who, you know, had a knee surgery last month. And, that, and that's the best you can do. Poor James White, you know, I mean, I think he's a great player when you can keep him as a receiving back. Um, but, you know, you're not, you can't lean on him. So, I mean, look, I think, I know people are, are, you know, ready to just jump down Belichick's throat, but, I mean, there's just been so many issues of guys getting injured, things not working out. I mean, it's just been a perfect storm, and right now the Patriots just look like they are lost on all sides of the ball. You touched on James White. I was making this point earlier that maybe I'm ignorant, but I think they should use him more. I think he's a really good player. I know Belichick likes to have guys in certain roles, but I think you could maybe open the playbook up a little bit with James White at least. I don't know. I mean, do you think he's kind of boxed into what he's currently doing as being like the third down back? I mean, I, I think that he is not at his best when he's running between the tackles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's only so many plays that you can run with him, uh, you know, to play to his strengths before you've kind of shown everything. Uh, I mean, you need a, you need a balance. And I mean, it's, if you look at going into the, into the preseason, oh my gosh, we got Hill, we got Gillisley, we have, you know, we just drafted Sony Michelle, Burkhead's coming back, you got James. I mean, it looks so deep and like, wow, how's this all going to work out? And then you cut Gillisley, Hill gets hurt, Rex Burkhead gets hurt, Michelle's yeah. already hurt. I mean, it's just, it's falling apart. And, I mean, they need, they need to find a way to run the ball on first down because when you only have three wide receivers, third and long is not your friend. No, it's not. How good do you think Miami is? Are they a, a real threat here? I mean, I think so. I mean, I, you know, look, it's, it's always weird in, the, in these early stages, especially in September. Teams are up, teams are down. Um, you know, and I've always kind of thought like until an AFC East team can come into Foxborough in a meaningful game and beat the Patriots uh, I'm not I haven't really ever gotten that concerned about it you know teams look good maybe you know the Bills will steal will stole one up in Buffalo you know a few years ago um, you know they'll lose an early one down in Miami but you know it, it's kind of matched up well right now for Miami so it's like I don't want to say now or never because you know obviously it's 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 still early in the season, but I feel like for Miami, this is the golden opportunity that they've been waiting for. Because if you can beat the Patriots in Gillette, send them to one and three, and have that game that you, you you're not going to have to come back here. That then they're going to get to host the Patriots. You know, it, it'll set things up for them. So I don't know how actually they're not. I mean, I said this last week. I would have never thought that the same Patriots team that we saw look so flat against the Jaguars was going to come back out against the Lions, but. I will be absolutely shocked if we don't get a better effort because how can it be any worse? So <laughs> expect the Patriots, especially playing at home, to play like a corner dog that they are. Um, and I and I think Miami will have their hands full. But I, I you know, look, there's just again, it's going to go probably go down to the wire at best. I can't imagine all of a sudden the Patriots are going to roll out and there. It's going to be 38-13, and you know we're all oh the Patriots are back. I just it's it's really hard to see that happening right now. You know, Mike, uh, I got a question for you. Over the first three games of the season here, haven't really seen the uh, the defensive front for the Patriots putting a lot of pressure on opponents' yeah. passers. Uh, and of course, you know we all know when that pressure isn't there, it puts more pressure on the linebackers, more pressure on the secondary. They've already got injuries in the secondary. Who do you? What personnel do you see in that defensive line, that front? that's going to be able to step up and change that pattern because uh, not allow opposing quarterbacks to 
sit back there and pick at us. Well, I mean, it seems like Trey Flowers is the only the only hope. Help us, Trey Flowers. You're our only hope. I mean, <laughs> who else is an impact player? You know, and it's like as much as I love the energy and and those couple plays that that Wise brought last night. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's he's 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 not a superstar. I mean, he's you know he's he's a pretty good player right now. Um, and that's about as good as you can say. I mean, Adam Butler. You know, we're we're now in year two of him being the interior pass rusher. Um, you know, I, I mean, look. In week one, I thought it looked great. I mean, I thought they looked as in sync as, in, as a defense between rush and coverage as we've seen in a long time. And I think that's what's just kind of so astonishing to me is that they look good two weeks ago. They really did look good against the Texans. I mean, there was guys flying around. They were containing the quarterback. I mean, it, it looked good. And, and now, for whatever reason, it just completely uh, lost all that. So... I mean, I think the first thing that has to happen is you got to get Trey Flowers back because he's the only guy, uh, you know, who can, can, can consistently win. Uh, and all these guys are just losing one-on-one matchups across the board. And if you don't have guys who can't win one-on-one matchups, it doesn't really matter what else you do because they're not getting to the quarterback. Well, so, I'll go oh, ahead. I was just going to say, Mike, <laughs> is, uh, what do you think? Is this Gronk's last year? I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because now, now you feel like, well, I mean, I would have thought Gronk would be here past Brady, um, you know, but then based on the comments last night, I almost feel like when, when Brady hangs him up, Gronk's going to hang him up at the same time, and they're going to, you know, sail off into the sunset holding hands together. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, like the thing I can't stop thinking about is, what if they did trade him to the Lions? What would last night have looked like if they didn't have Rob Gronkowski? I mean, they might not have gotten a first down all night. It wouldn't have been so, pretty. No, it wouldn't have. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't as pretty as it was. So, um, you know, it's, it's hard to speculate. I mean, obviously, Rob Gronkowski has uh, sacrificed more than enough of his body uh, for the football team. And, right. you know, we've gotten plenty of joy out of him. So I think whenever he does decide to I think everybody will kind of say, Thank, uh, thank you for thank you for your service, Gronk. You you've broken your arm, you've broken your legs, your back, and you know you can go and just try to try to keep your body healthy for the rest of your life. There you go. Well, uh, Mike Duso, I know you're not optimistic right now, but we'll see what happens early in the season still. So, but thanks so much for joining us again. The website for Mike is patspropaganda.com. He's got an article up right now talking about last night's game. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining us here on the B List Daily. Hey guys, thanks for uh, having me. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, so Mike obviously concerned, maybe as he should be, about the Patriots right now after last night's loss. Hey, on the other side of the break, we'll talk about the original uh, football. Uh, the Bates men's soccer team had a great weekend. We'll have Tyler Shake, their head coach, and junior captain Peter Bakken on the other side of this break. This is the B-List Daily on Sports Time 780 and live online at sportstimemain.com. There's a winning culture when it comes to sports teams in New England. Well, now there's a new team to add to the list the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners. An all-star team of orthopedic care right here in your backyard. Four of the area's top orthopedic practices, OA Centers for Orthopedics, Central Maine Orthopedics, Falmouth Orthopedic Center, and Maine Ortho have joined forces to become a dream team of orthopedic care, where physicians, surgeons, sports medicine specialists, and clinical staff share resources and work as one to make patient care efficient and more affordable. To learn more about the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners and connect with a provider in your area, visit spectrumhcp.com slash ortho. That's spectrumhcp.com slash ortho. We believe in better. 
a better way to invest, a better way to serve you, and a better result. At Frisbee & Associates, we can help you determine how much risk you're taking, red flags that could be potential problems for you, how much you're paying in fees and commissions, potential tax liability, and how to address Social Security. For your free consultation, call Kevin Frisbee at 241-7430. Frisbee & Associates is located in Rumford, Brewer, and in Lewiston at 656 Main Street. Call 241-7430 online at frisbeebenefits.com. See something? Smell something? Do something. When your basement or crawl space smells, don't ignore it. Odors, mold, and harmful pollutants come from too much moisture and not enough air circulation making your home unhealthy. Do something. Call Wave Home Solutions today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. Experts recommend ventilation instead of dehumidifiers to reduce moisture and expel harmful gases and pollutants. Wave Moisture Control Units continuously dry out your home, transforming it into a fresher, healthier environment year-round. Wave Units cost only pennies a day to operate, and there are no buckets too empty. Call Wave today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. That's goodairusa.com or call 1-888-980-WAVE. If you owe the IRS back taxes, payroll taxes, or have not filed your returns, the IRS will get you. Call Wallen Associates now and pay less than you owe. 800-727-0433. That's 800-727-0433. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs risk-free, call 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. All aboard MBR.org! The place to get all your high school and amateur sports news and information. MBR.org is in high gear with Maine High School Winter Sports. Go to MBR.org to chat about your favorite team. Find the latest articles, travel news, and cancellations. Or visit their all-new and very popular team pages. MBR.org has everything you want to know about high school and amateur sports in Maine. Coming in February, all the high school tournament action at your fingertips 24-7. It's high school sports heaven. All aboard MBR.org! Welcome back. We're in the Spectrum Healthcare Partners studios. This is the B-List Daily on Sports Time 780 and live online at sportstimemain.com. MBRradio.com also has the links to listen in to our broadcast. We have 30 more minutes today. We wrap up at noon. I'm filling in for Maddie B. We've got Gus LeBlanc in studio filling in for Coach Wing. Happy to be joined in studio as well by the head coach of the Bates men's soccer team, Tyler Shake, and junior captain, Peter Bakken, recapping a, just a terrific weekend, guys. A 1-0 win over Wesleyan and then a 2-0 win over Williams. Uh, 
Tater, let's start with you. I mean, you know, two shutouts. You're a midfielder. You were involved in pretty much all the goals this weekend. Uh, take us through what this meant for the team and what you guys were talking about, you know, Saturday going into Sunday. Uh, Saturday, after Saturday, we were really excited to get our first NESCAC win on the books. Um, and going into Sunday, I know our seniors, when they were freshmen, they beat Williams on the road. Mm -hmm. And that has always been a big point for them if they wanted to do that again. And so actually by winning yesterday for the seniors, they now have like a positive record against Williams. They're two one and one in their careers. Yeah. Um, and it just means a lot to us because I think that was our first six point weekend, two wins in the NESCAC in one weekend. Someone said in 15 years. Wow. So we are very excited about this season. We are ex very excited to just keep going up. Well, Tyler, how about making his some history in your first year? <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't, luckily didn't. Didn't have to play. Didn't have to there. play, right? Yeah, because uh, it was a it was a very physical weekend. Yeah, um, my first doubleheader NESCAC weekend, and we have one coming up. Um, incredibly proud of the guys. Uh, we had game plans, and they stuck to it, despite obviously Wesleyan and Williams having some of the games as well. But if I'm if I'm being unbiased about it, I, I thought that we were the better side, as we needed to be. We needed points this weekend. We were at home, um, and just going to be prouder of their efforts. Yeah, we'll be putting some uh, video highlights on GoBatesBobcats.com shortly. Full disclosure, I am the Assistant Sports Information Director at Bates, so I like to bring on some Bobcats when I guess, uh, fill in for Matty B. But, Pater, take us through your goal against Wesley and break it down for us. So, I've actually watched the film on this yeah. one, <laughs> and uh, Wesleyan had a throw-in in right around R18, and Blaise Marceau won the ball back and sent it up the line to Charlie, who went on like a 50-yard run from our half of the ball to the other team's 18, and a couple of guys made good runs past him that drew the defenders away. And then Charlie just laid it off to me. And it was just one of those shots where when you strike it, you know it's destined for the corner. And so we were already wheeling off to celebrate. And that was just really awesome because it was a great team goal. And then you were involved in both goals against Williams. Eric Opoku scored both of them. But tell us about your involvement. Um, I think in the first 15 minutes of the second half, Williams definitely stepped up their pressure on us. And I think we were under it a little bit. But that op also opened up space for us on the counter. And so there was just one moment where I was able to break free from their midfield and drive at their back line. And I hit a shot at the keeper, and the keeper spilled it. And Eric did a great job of beating their defender and putting it in the back of the net. And then we also, the second goal came off of a free kick that I hit off the near post. And then Eric tapped in the rebound. And so both times, I think Eric did a great job of being there. Right. Because there was no one else around on both of them. He was the one that was anticipating that, like good strikers do. They think about what the best-case scenario is, and they make that work. Yeah, Tyler, it seems like when Eric scores for Bates, he scores in bunches. I, I think like <laughs> most of his games when he scores, he has two goals. But it seems like he's in the right place, right time. Tell us about his development now as a junior. Yeah, Eric's a special player. Um, you know, this isn't this isn't my team. It's, I tell them all the time it's their team. Mm -hmm. And uh, Eric's been a part of it now. This is his third season, um, same class as Pater. So, yeah. Um, really talented group. Eric sort of personifies that with his class on the ball. Um, asking more of him this year, asking him to use his physical attributes. He is probably the quickest player in conference, um, if you've seen his stature. But but because of that, he can have a big impact. And he had that big impact on you know those Williams Giants that came into town. So a um, lot to do after after Pater's shot on the first goal. And, um, you know, all credit to, to Eric for being right place, right time. Peter, I'm curious about that because uh, Tyler touched on that. Eric is a smaller guy and he's very fast. You, you have a little bit more size, too. You're also very fast, though, as well. But, I mean, it seems like other teams try to 
they try to be physical with Eric because he is smaller. I mean, how do you players maybe work together to, you know, limit that if possible in terms of, you know, teamwork and whatnot? Uh, we definitely try to get Eric into space yeah. away from players where he can get the ball at his feet because then once he starts cutting, it's hard for anyone to grab a hold of him, and they try to grab a hold of him. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I've noticed that. Yeah, even my uh, amateur eye has noticed that. But, um, you know, Peter, we've talked on this before. Um, you've been on previously on the podcast, I host, but... Um, you know, you're from Seattle, so take us through your journey to Lewiston and ending up at Bates eventually. Yeah, so I was a public school kid in Seattle for all the way through my freshman year of high school, and then I did probably the furthest thing from that, and I went to boarding school for four years after that in New England and lived the very the prep school life, uh, which was completely different than what I was used to in Seattle. And it was pretty funny because everyone in Seattle, when they heard I was going to boarding school, they said, why are your parents sending you to military school? Right, right, yeah. No one goes to boarding school in Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's definitely a rare thing. <laughs> but did that experience, you know, prepare you well for Bates? What was the transition like when you first came in here? I think definitely living on your own when you're 15, yeah. 16 years old, you're forced to grow up when you're a little bit younger. And I definitely think that helped that when I came into Bates, I felt like I was a little more mature and a little more ready for what was coming. Excellent. Uh, Tyler, you know, your first year coaching the Bobcats. I'm curious, you know, the NASCAC, you've seen quite a few matches now, two and two so far this year. What are your observations on this conference compared to other conferences you've coached in? Uh, first off, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that it's the best conference in America, um, and it's one of the draws of why I wanted to come here and work with the elite of the elite. But um, it's a very effective conference as well. I think per the high academics, we don't have – um, you know, maybe as many preseason days to work with the teams and, and that sort of thing. So you got the best coaches coaching the best players, and it's about effectiveness. And uh, I don't want to say we very easily could have um, gained points in our first two games and could have very easily lost points in our second two games in, in the NESCAC slate, but it truly becomes a bounce the ball. I, for one, think tactics, sticking to game plans, effort, energies, you earn those bounces. Um, but it, it, it really is on a razor's edge almost every one of these contests. I can promise you going forward, Bates will be in every one of them, though. Well, yeah, I mean, six matches so far, Pater, a total of two goals allowed. That's got to be making the team feel pretty good right now, right? The team's feeling great. It's a collective buy-in from everyone on the team, not just the kids, not just the 11 kids that are on the field, but that's something that we need to work on every day in training, and so it takes our 31-man roster, it takes every single one of them going to practice and ready to put in the work. How's life as a captain so far? <laughs> it's good. Uh, our other captains all do a great job. Yeah. Um, Alex Marceau, Sam Hubschman, and Drew Munoz, they all are seniors, and they kind of do most of the work. I kind of have it easy. <laughs> I do all the junior stuff. It's a little bit more, less big picture. <laughs> He's being modest. Uh, he helps... He helps this program tick, but our senior class is a special one. Um, I think, you know, the perfect senior class for getting a new coach a month before a season. Um, they're really running the show. So Yeah, Tyler, coming in a month before the season, I mean, what was the biggest thing you did in that month's time to really get yourself acclimated here, you think? Uh, I moved. <laughs> that was the biggest thing, right? Yeah. And moved Getting your Midwest. furniture in your uh, um, place. No, we got some phone calls in, and, and, yeah. and Ped's alluded to it, but the buy-in from the guys was apparent on, on every phone call that I, that I uh, had with the, with the players. Um, and then day one, um, the efforts and energies. All I can ever ask as a coach, all we can ever ask is, 
give me your best. What does that truly mean? And they're really starting to sort of empty the tank when it's time to go. Um, they, they give it their all. So, Gus, I'm curious. You're a football guy. You ever play any soccer? No. The only time <laughs> I played soccer was when I was in college, and uh, uh, the uh, instructor told me to tackle. I was playing fullback. <laughs> told me to tackle the ball, and uh, I had a hard time making the transition from football to soccer. Ta tackle, <laughs> tackle the player instead. <laughs> exactly. Well, have you, have you guys seen the American football coach in London skit that NBC did it's a few years ago? Yeah. Ted, 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 Ted Lasso. Yes, yeah. that was a classic. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, Gus, that the, uh, the world football tailgates are just as good as the American football tailgates. <laughs> so... If you ever get around to one of the one of the matches at I don't know what it would be Foxborough or something, it's well. I, I do want you to know that crazy crazy parties. I actually have coached soccer. I have a perfect record coaching soccer. There you go. <laughs> I coached one game and we won. There you go. Yeah. Walk away. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I had to go to the bookstore and buy a book about coaching about playing soccer before I coached the game. But was well, so it how to coach soccer for idiots? Because that's what I, that's my manuscript that I read out of. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it would have been an appropriate book for me to read. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm speaking of tailgates and stuff. I mean, it seems like the men's soccer team. You guys have a lot of support among you know the parents are traveling up to watch everyone play, and you get great food afterwards. It seems like, right? Is that a yeah? <laughs> our parents are amazing. They after every game, they're there with water, Gatorade, and lots of sandwiches and everything else, and they usually keep it pretty healthy, which keeps coach happy. Um, but that's awesome because whether it's a home game or away game, every game afterwards we come together as a family, all 31 of us, and it's just one happy family. I'm curious, you know, after you beat Wesleyan versus after you beat Williams, right? Because after you beat Wesleyan, you're happy. You got another game the next day. Yep. I feel like Williams, you've got to let it out a little bit more. Is that a fair statement? Definitely fair to say. Yeah. After the Wesleyan game, as soon as the final whistle blew, it was preparation for Williams has already begun. Yeah. So we had to switch on right then and make sure that we did everything we could to recover because it's not easy to play two soccer games in one weekend. So we had to make sure that we did a good job cooling down and stretching and then getting our minds focused to get revved up again on Sunday. Yeah, Tyler, when it comes to these double headers, I mean, during the week, how are you preparing the team? Because are you trying to do both teams at once or just focusing more on what Bates is going to do? A bit of both. Yeah. Um, you know, we work, we're working on what, what we're going to do, what, what our tactics will be. Um, but you're preparing for that first game, 75-25. And per how the NESCAC works, sometimes it's kind of like that Mike Tyson quote. Everyone has a plan until you get hit. Right. Until yeah. you get punched in the face or whatever. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes these, these games sort of descend into the decades-old rivalries and, it's, and the soccer is a bit more narrow. It becomes a bit more direct. And you're looking for players like Peds to make plays and um, then they make us coaches look good but you know this weekend will be a really big test a bigger test than we had this weekend even because um, we'll be on the road right and I think Williams's weekend is sort of a tale of that I don't think they expected to get um, to pick up a loss after coming off a victory over Amherst mm -hmm. on Saturday and you know our attentions are strictly Trinity right now and preparing our bodies best to train on Tuesday um, and we will obviously discuss Amherst on Sunday, but being on the road, not being as comfortable, not maybe being able to sleep in our in our own beds, it's it's going to be a test for the boys to keep that focus. Conversely, there won't be as many distractions as you're on the, as you might have when you're on campus. 
um, and, and, and those kids wanting to go out on a Saturday night pull, trying to pull you from your dorm room. Right, but, right. Um, it's going to have to be all business and academics on the road. But uh, I, f- I feel good about, about where our program is, where the team is, and the buy-in is uh, as we head into Trinity. Yeah, Peter, what's your take on the you know, road versus home in the Nets CAC, the challenges there for you? I'm a big fan of going on the road because going on the road, when you stay in a hotel or something the night before, you're switched on from earlier and you're with the group of guys the day before. And so it's easier for all of you to collectively get your minds right and you're focused on one mission. Whereas when everyone's on campus, yeah, everyone's focused, but at the same time, kids are going out to eat with their girlfriends for dinner. They're doing different things. And so I definitely like the road warrior mentality. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. Uh, how often do you play a doubleheader on a weekend? Heads would hit. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, we normally play, I think, three a season. Um, this year, I know we have three, so we have one this weekend, one next weekend, and one the weekend <laughs> after that. So, I, so as a coach, not a soccer coach, but as a coach, I'm thinking to myself, that's a real difficult prep to play, not only for the coach, but for the players, two different opponents, two quality opponents in a given weekend it's a bit criminal (laughs) Uh, you know and it's something and I actually found out previous institutions I've been at you know if you have a double header there'll be four teams involved in that double header you know you'll be playing someone on Saturday then the opponent you play on Saturday also has a Sunday game whoever you play on Sunday had a Saturday game so there'll be four teams involved in that yeah Um, that's not true (laughs) for NASCAR we played Wesleyan Saturday, and that was their only game on this weekend. Uh, Williams played Amherst Saturday, and I believe that was Amherst's only game that weekend. That's just so you. So your the preparations are different. The way that a team can throw themselves at the game even is slightly different. I you know it's new to me. It is what it is. I, I assume then you know uh, if it's a luxury to only have one game on that weekend, you know maybe that's something that we'll have the following season and vice versa. I think I'm sure that sort of uh, that sort of chip gets tossed around year to year but it is a bit funky considering that these able-bodied young men kick the crap out of each other <laughs> for 90 minutes literally so um, yeah it's something that's 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 difficult for the guys to contend with but it's also gets them out of the classroom and that's why they also um, enjoy their time at Bates so but if you if your team played a doubleheader this weekend, and both your opponents only played one game. Yeah. Walking away with two wins, you guys must be feeling huge about that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Peter, I'm curious from a rivalry perspective. At Bates, everyone all talk about Bowden and Colby are the big rivals in most sports. For men's soccer, it sounds like Williams might be one. I mean, I don't. I, I, in terms of the dynamics, dynamics between the players, what's your take on maybe your biggest rival, quote unquote? I think everyone in the NESCAC is our <laughs> Very well trained. Wow, that's right. I tried to put you on the spot there, but uh, everyone's a rival. Yeah, I think we have ten rivals in the NESCAC. <laughs> but no, when you play them for four years, you get to yeah. know kids on the other teams. There's kids in the same grade as you. There was on Sunday on Williams, one of our freshmen, Kieran Bardong, his brother Liam Bardong was the center back. Okay. And so two minutes into the game, there's Kieran taking his brother on, and yeah. they're going at it just like they used to do in the backyard. And so I think the more you play against these teams, the more you get to know their personnel, and that definitely creates a little bit of rivalries because, like, our left-back Julian or our right-back Blaze will be 1v1 versus that same kid potentially for three or four years. Yeah. 
Excellent. Well, Tyler, I'm curious also, um, Robbie Montanaro, your senior goalkeeper, nine saves I saw against uh, Williams. Uh, tell us a little bit about his development this year because, again, only two goals allowed in, in, in six matches. Yeah, well, first a shout-out to the whole goalkeeping staff. Mm -hmm. That's a position that um, only one player can play. There's not a left goalkeeper or a right, right. goalkeeper. Um, you know, and, and they all sort of, I told the, the, the four of them, uh, Quinn, uh, David, and, and Owen, that that goalkeeper needs to be one of the top three in conference, and Robbie is certainly per per performing as such. Um, the one who is playing the games at the moment, and at the moment isn't in any danger to lose that role, but um, I put him up for player of the week in the NESCAX. I think it was certainly deserved. Some monster saves um, that he had for us to keep us, say, in the game. Because even 2-0 scoreline is is usually the most dangerous in soccer. Because um, it's you kind of get your foot off the gas and one goal and the other team's back in it. But he kept two clean sheets and I mean that's his, that's that's Robbie. I mean he's a very sort of laser focused type. Not sure how that translates to other sports, but goalkeepers uh, are a rare breed. Um, they throw their body on the line in a certain certain manner. So Robbie's been fantastic for us. And we're going to rely on our goalkeeper, whoever it would be of mm -hmm. the four, um, Robbie, right now, to continue in that vein. Yeah, Peter, what's it like to know you have such a strong goalkeeper behind you there in the midfield? It inspires such confidence in the rest of the team. Uh, he came up clutch in both games. He made some saves late that both times just really kept us in it. And everyone on the team then just is very happy because, like, we know that we can force shots from 25, 30 yards. We maybe can let those happen because we know Robbie's back there and he's not going to let those in. So it inspires a confidence through the rest of the team that gives us a little bit of a swagger, gives us a little bit. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, we got about five, five minutes left in the show. Big NESCAC Road Weekend uh, coming up here at Trinity at Amherst. Um, what are your observations on those teams based on what you've seen in the past from them? What, what challenges do they bring to the table? I think Trinity's field freshman year was an interesting field. I think they got a new field since then, so mm -hmm. I'm curious to see what that, that's like. Um, and then Amherst's bench is known around the league for just being crazy, um, but our bench is, I think, even crazier. You guys get hyped up. Yeah, yeah. so I'm looking forward to that because I'm more in looking forward to seeing whose bench is louder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tyler, I mean, the guys who aren't playing play a – Big role, though, also, right? Supporting the teammates? Totally. I think the requisite, in this conference, the requisite energy levels need to be to the max. Um, and per subbing rules in American college soccer, there really is no restriction. Right. Other than some re-entry rules. Um, you know, you can keep the, the, the sort of style of play pumped to the max as well. So if our bench is locked in, included, in, especially on the road, um, that's like having having like a home game. So we're going to try to create that as atmosphere amongst ourselves as best as we can. Everyone plays a role on our team. And uh, if we keep the buy-in, I think we could probably um, give our best foot forward in this weekend. Peter, I'm curious. You had the um, earlier match against Tufts where it's very close. Uh, you know, 1-0 Tufts ended up pulling out the win. But that's a situation where they're a top-five team ranked in the country. I mean, rankings, you know, take them or leave them. That's still, you know, they're a very strong program. They're a top-five team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> how much did, did, even though it was a loss did that infuse you guys with you know a lot of confidence like hey you know we can beat anyone yeah that definitely infused us with a lot of confidence because it showed that we have the fight there with other teams 
yeah, there were periods of the game where Tufts were completely on top of us and it seemed like we were somewhat hemmed in, but every time our guys were fighting to not give them an inch. And I think ultimately that just shows that we can play with anyone in the country. And this past weekend, we got a taste of what it's like to have a six-point weekend, and we want another one this weekend. Yeah. So, yeah, six-point week. I'm surprised that's the first time in 15 years. I thought... That's what someone told yeah, me. Yeah, okay, because it's definitely the first time during your time here. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You've had, probably had a win and a tie before, I would imagine, probably on a weekend. I would guess. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I can't think of any. It's tough. I mean, NESCAC, obviously, Tyler mentioned it, the best conference in the country, especially... You know, in terms of Division Three, in terms of most sports, and men's soccer aren't being no exception there. But, you know, Peter, your time in the NESCAC, what have you learned what it takes to succeed maybe since you first stepped foot on campus till now as a junior? Uh, the biggest thing I learned is how much of a collective effort it is for the 31 guys because you really are going to battle on any given day. And on any given day in the NESCACs, anyone can beat anyone. And so it just comes down to who wants it more. And that can often be decided by the smallest things from one guy on the bench to just a tackle in midfield. It's the little things that really matter. Terrific. And Tyler, points of emphasis in practice this week for the guys coming off a six-point weekend. Uh, listen to Peds. You heard, you heard that. <laughs> and honestly, he sounds no different than the rest of the fellas. I yeah. mean, they, they, they take care of themselves. They look after one another. they got the right mentality. So we'll continue to sort of razor, sort of uh, sharpen our knives, get ready for what I think is going to be what he said, road warriors mentality. Well, it's going to be nice as a head coach to have guys who kind of, well, police might be the wrong words, but kind of manage themselves almost in terms of everything they do. That's the Bates College in them. Yeah. Um, this is an elite institution. Um, there's not much more I can say about that other <laughs> than it's, a pl it's an absolute pleasure to work with them. And it starts top down. Our seniors have been fantastic. And, and all the way trickle down to the talented freshmen we have, they're already toeing the line. That's what it takes. It's what being a member of a team is about. I heard you talking Belichick and the Pats before. Yeah, that's right. He's cracking the whip, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they're doing today in the in the Patriots' offices. So, um, likewise, I don't really have to crack the whip. They do it themselves. There you have it. Well, Tyler Shake, head coach of the Bates men's soccer team and junior captain Peter Bakken, a six-point weekend, two wins, 1-0 over Wesleyan, 2-0 over Williams, two of their many rivals in the NESCAC. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. My name's Aaron Morse. Gus, thanks so much for filling in today. You were terrific talking all things local sports, whether it be Bates or New England Patriots, so on and so forth. Maddie B will be back in tomorrow again, 10 to noon, along with Coach, oh, actually Coach Wing, one more day off. Maddie B will be in back in tomorrow, 10 to noon here on the B-List Daily. Thanks, guys, again for stopping by. My name Thank is Aaron you. Morse, signing off. This has been the B-List Daily on Sports Time 780 and live online at sportstimemain.com.